our Bible reading plan online will just give you a really great help. Um, I, when I read the Bible uh, with a plan, I, I just get caught with little interesting things and it takes me forever because I just stop and then I reread. So I've, I've started this year um, to listen to the Bible for the, in the year. I'll read along with it with my eyes, but it, can, it has a pace that's a lot better than my own. So I find I can work through it. Just find those resources that are available to you, many of them through our website that will help you get into God's Word and spend time in prayer. Also, a lot of things going on, obviously a lot of ministry that we do here that we believe in, that we think is important and we value. Those are starting up again in January from youth to men's ministry, women's ministry, and all sorts of things going on. Um, just keep an eye out in the bulletin for those things. Another thing, though, um, with a new year comes, um, yeah, some new, I don't know, new things coming your way. Um, the, the library, which is just out the doors on the bookshelves here, is a resource library that we really commend to you. We're putting on the shelves, especially in the recommended reading sections, books that we actually think will grow you in your discipleship of Jesus. To know Jesus more really sets you up for loving him more. And so we, we have um, resources there that we think are phenomenal. And, and we're going to spend 2016 and the early part of it um, filling those shelves, a lot of them with uh, some new resources. Invite you to look in the bulletin about a Love Your Library event and a way that you can contribute to that. But we do, with the conclusion of 2015, have some um, leftover resources, some, some doubles of copies of things. So I thought I'd give maybe a couple bit away a couple away this morning. This is no crazy plug or anything. I'm not trying to sell anything to you. I just want to give a couple of our extra books away that I think are amazing. So don't put up your hands if you're not a reader, okay? If you're not actually going to read this book, but if 2016 you plan on reading some books, feel free to put up your hand. Is there anybody here who would stop? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I'm starting to see which type of people some of you are in class. All right, it's great. Um, if any of you have a real heart for, so you're going to read a book, have a real heart for those who are hurting, real heart for the poor, real heart for those in need, and would read a book about it, this is probably the book I would commend to you about Ministries of Mercy, just reaching out to people around you who are in need. It's by Timothy Keller called Ministries of Mercy. Would anybody read it? Would it there you go, Alan, it's yours. Sorry, you were second. There you go. All right, one more. If you want to read a book about missions that has quick excerpts and um, is really phenomenal, literally it starts with the Apostle Paul and goes to today. It's a history of missions, global missions. It's called From Jerusalem to Irian Jaya. Anybody just love missions would read it? There you, okay, there you go. It's yours. You want to, you want to come get it? I put one on the, on the communion table last service and it just felt a little bit wrong. I don't know. Do I do that? Put a book on top? I'm not sure. There you go. <laughs> you can take that. And I just want to remind you, all year long, there are books that you can sign out, some for purchase. Our resource library, it's there for your growth, for your good. Uh, commend that to you. A lot of books are going to be coming your way, uh, uh, filling those shelves in the new year. So there you have it. Now, with a new year also becomes a new sermon series. We're going, to do, we're going to spend five weeks on a sermon series called Belonging. The five Sundays of January, we're going to sit here. We're going to um, talk about belonging to Jesus via the gospel, believing in the gospel, belonging to Jesus. We're going to look at belonging uh, with Jesus in baptism, identifying with him in, uh, in be being dead to sin and alive to Christ. So we're going to emphasize baptism here. 
next week. We're going to talk about baptism. And then we're going to spend the final weeks in January looking at belonging to the body of Christ, the church, and what it means. What does, what does, how does a Christian uh, function with the church? What does that look like? How do we live in that? Are there certain things that we're supposed to do? What does it look like to be a Christian? And what's our relationship with the church? And so all of that has to do with belonging to Jesus. And all the way along, every week, you're going to hear us making a plug. If you have not been baptized as a believer, or if you have not become a ministry partner here at Central, but you've been coming for a while, uh, it's known in some contexts as membership. We call it ministry partnership. We're going to invite you to pick up a um, baptism and ministry partnership form, application form. It's at the Welcome Center. It's also uh, available online. You can fill it out online and submit it, or you could pick up a paper copy at the Welcome Center all month long. It, it would be a way to indicate to us that you were interested in, the, in, uh, in baptism and ministry partnership. So we're going to spend these five weeks in January looking at, at the gospel, baptism, and ministry partnership. And then on Sunday, February 7th, we're going to celebrate together. There are going to be baptisms. And we're going to invite new ministry partners into the family of faith. And so that's where we're going. If you're wondering about this, if you'd, if you'd like to get baptized, become a ministry partner, fill out the form. Um, if, you're, if you're just wondering about it, not sure where you, if you haven't been baptized, you're not convinced you need to be, or were baptized as an infant, or if you uh, don't really know what your relationship with the church should look like, we're going to preach from the Bible on these things this month. And, and so that's where we're going. This morning, we're starting the series on something we can all agree on as Christians. It's the issue of first importance. It's of first importance. But as we get going, I just want to talk a little bit about issues of first importance in other contexts. So, for example, if you're a petroleum engineer, or you're an EMT, or you're a pilot, or you're any number of things, if, if, if you're a construction worker, there is an issue of first importance that you probably hear a lot. And it's the issue of safety, right? What's most important is safety, right? Or, is, or look, look at the election we had this past year in Canada, the one coming up here in the States. You know what the number one issue is? The issue of first importance in the election, both here and down in the States. Every stat is showing it. The issue of first importance is the economy. That's what people are saying. The issue of first importance in gardening. Not that I would know, but this is what I hear. The issue of first importance in gardening strange. The older I get, the more alluring gardening is. What's, ha what's happening to me? I, I, I see the beauty in it. But what, here's what I hear about gardening. It's all about the dirt. Issue of first importance. It's all about the dirt. What's the issue of first importance to professional athletes? There are a lot of important things. Sleep, diet, fitness, all kinds of things. But you know what the issue of first importance to an athlete is? Championship. Right? It's, it's, all, it's all about the championship. You're going to do all these other things for that championship, but it's all about the championship. Well, to followers of Jesus, the issue of first importance to the Christian is the gospel. That Jesus died and rose again. And so it seems fitting that as we begin a new year and a new sermon series, we focus on what matters most. And the Apostle Paul makes it explicit in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. So if you have a Bible, turn in the New Testament to the, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 to 4. They'll also be on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV. Here's what it says. Now I would remind you, brothers, 
and sisters of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Now listen to this verse. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, what was passed on to Paul. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that is God's word. Let me open in prayer. God, thank you for oh, so many things. Thank you for this year we just had, 2015. Lord, it was a significant year in the life of our church. God, we saw a number of people give their lives to your son Jesus, come to saving faith this year. Lord, we saw a lot of growth in our church, growth in our Agassi campus, growth in our children's ministry, where we already thought was huge, grew by another 50 kids this year. Lord, we, our church gave more than they've ever given before giving to the mission we're on together. Lord, 2015 has been a beautiful year of growing closer to you and growing in discipleship, and we praise you for that. Thank you for the impact that we could have locally here in Chilliwack and in Agassiz. Thank you, God, for the ministries you've given us to and the ways in which we want to serve our neighbors, love our neighbors, and um, live as good stewards in this community you've put us. Thank you for the opportunities we had in 2015 to do that. Thank you, Lord, globally for what you're doing and sending out missionaries, missionaries we support, missionaries we love from here who have gone out. Lord, we thank you that because of the ministry of Central, Lord, you're using it for global impact and we're humbled and we're thankful. So God, as this new year approaches and we look ahead, Lord, we long for you. We want to serve you. We want to grow in grace. We want to know you more. And God, we ask that you um, would speak to us by your word. Your spirit would enliven it, um, impress it on our hearts. God, that the gospel truly would be of first importance in our lives this year. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look, you have your Bible open to 1 Corinthians, and so let me just give you a little bit of context. Um, this church in Corinth was actually, uh, it had a lot of struggles, it had a lot of challenges. If you were to sit down and read the 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians, you would see Paul addressing these. There were serious problems of division in the church. There were issues of sexual immorality. Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you'll see um, how perverse that was. Uh, there were social class issues. There was confusion about marriage and divorce. And there was participation in, uh, in pagan religions. There were issues around orderly corporate worship. It was disorderly. And there was even division amongst them about the resurrection of Jesus and whether it actually happened. So it gives me a little bit of relief when I read about... I mean, this was a church that was like... They were first century Christians. The Apostle Paul... Um, was a missionary to them. Many people came to faith. They started this church. Here they are, and they're messed up. It's like, oh, 
we're not the only ones, praise God, right? <laughs> we're not the only church that has an issue here or there, right? Like it's, we're not the only ones. This was actually from the get-go, from the Apostle Paul's, the, the, the ones he proclaimed the gospel to, this early church, there's always been issues, there's always been stuff going on, and he spends this letter, one of two that we see in the scriptures, but he likely wrote this, at least four letters to the Corinthians. Two of them are Bible, and he's writing them, and he's, he's, he's talking about all of these issues, all very important, all significant. They need to get their understanding of marriage right. They need to address the divisions in their church. They need to get that right. They need to, to honor the fact that the resurrection actually happened. They need to address uh, orderly worship. They need to address sexual promiscuity. But he says the issue of first importance is that Jesus died and that he rose again. And so as the book comes to a close in chapter 15, he narrows the scope and he wants people to see clearly this church that have their issues, but to see clearly what truly matters. What is of first importance? Well, he states it, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now look, this is the essential Christian position. It is the central message of Christianity, and it is of first importance. See, at the heart of the gospel stand the cross and the empty tomb. Without them, there's no salvation and therefore no good news. Without the cross, without the empty tomb, we're not here. There's nothing to proclaim. There's no good news. But the power of the cross and the victory of the empty tomb are truths not simply of importance. They're not even just very important. They are of first importance. The cross and resurrection are our justification and sanctification. The believer is totally regenerated by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. The fact that Jesus died and he rose again and how that is significant to the follower of Jesus. And it's not just one of those things, that he died. And it's not just that he rose, but it's both of those things. See, God doesn't just give us the answer to our guilt. That's the cross, dealing with our guilt. What do I do with my guilt? What do I do with my sin? The cross happened to deal with that, but he didn't only do that. It didn't just stop there. He also releases us from the bondage and power of our sins. Because the resurrection happens. He deals with it decisively. See, we not only die with Christ, being dead to sin, but are raised with Christ, alive in him. Therefore, the gospel is not only Good Friday, the gospel is also Easter Sunday. He died and he rose. There is a cross and there's also an empty tomb. And we are ultimately a people of faith of an Easter Sunday kind of a faith. This is not simply an asking Jesus into my heart thing. This is a being made right before a holy God, being cleansed from all our unrighteousness thing. It's about being made alive together with Christ, being set free from the bondage of sin and experiencing full redemption, reconciliation, and restoration in our lives and in all of creation, culminating in eternal life with Jesus Christ. So therefore, nothing is more important and no news is as good news as the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that he died and that he rose. Paul is telling a people who've got their issues, got their sin, but he's pointing them back, 
saying, here's what's most important. Jesus died and he rose. Do you believe it? That's what he's saying. And as we start a new year, the question is asked to us as well. The fact that Jesus died and he rose of first importance in your life, as you reflect back on the year past, was it of first importance in your life that Jesus died and rose again? The heart of the gospel was at the forefront of your life. Look, the, the, the challenge is that sometimes that we can, we can come here and we can do this and we can hear some preaching, but when we go out, if it's not of first importance in our lives, we chase the almighty dollar. Or we, we pursue our own leisure. We pursue something, but if it's of first importance, we leave this place working it out, living it out, pressing in, following after Jesus. Is the gospel of first importance in your life? Look, um, in the text, um, the Apostle Paul really starts to um, share it in a few different ways, this gospel. Look at the words, and it will also be what your outline is. Let me read you the first couple of verses again. The Apostle Paul begins by saying, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So if you have an outline, write these down. We're going to look at preaching the gospel. We're going to look at receiving the gospel. We're going to look at standing on the gospel. And fourthly, we're going to look at saving faith through the gospel. So firstly, the Apostle Paul says in verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. It's an issue of first importance, the gospel, and the Apostle Paul says, I preached it to you. Galatians 1.16, we see that Paul's conversion and call was to preach the gospel. Jesus met him on the road that day because he was going to make him a preacher of the gospel. That's why he was converted. That's why he was called. I am up here right now taking a stab at preaching the gospel. But I would actually say this word preaching um, is oftentimes used too too narrowly and often used negatively. In these two ways. To use narrowly in the sense of, well, what I'm doing right now. We view preaching as the preacher preaching. We come on Sunday and we hear the preacher preach. Right? We might listen to a podcast of a preacher and we hear preaching. So we, 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 we use the term quite narrowly. We also use or hear the term used negatively. Don't preach at me. Right? Don't you preach at me. I don't want to be preachy. I don't want to preach. You know, so there's this negative connotation to preaching or this narrowness to it. But when Paul says the gospel I preach to you and to hold fast to the word I preach to you, he's using this word which simply means proclaiming good news or bringing good news. That's what it means. To preach is to proclaim good news and to bring good news. So it's not so narrow anymore, is it? Because anyone can bring good news or proclaim good news. So pretend with me. Let's use our imaginations Let's pretend that somebody, I think there's movies about this, somebody goes hiking by themselves and then they get out of cell service, right? And they're not prepared and they get injured and they get stranded and they're in distress and now there they are by themselves in the wilderness, in the forest, wherever, on a mountain, they're by themselves and they're stranded. You or I, one of us, comes along, not me, I wouldn't be there. (laughs) Somebody. A hiker type is 
also on the mountain, and they see from a distance this hiker who's clearly stranded, um, who is clearly in distress, clearly injured, and they yell to them, it's okay, I see you, I'm coming for you, I'm going to rescue you. And you wait to hear their response, and they say, don't preach at me. Can you imagine that? I've got good news. You're in need. You're in distress. I can save you. Don't you preach your message to me of hope and salvation. Right? Like, preaching is proclaiming really great news. And if you're stranded there, I have to cut off your arm or whatever that movie was, right? It's great news when someone else shows up and you hear their voice and they say, I'm going to get you out of there. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to save you. Oh, thank God. It's great, great news. And this is news that we all have the opportunity to preach. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10:14, how are they to hear without someone preaching? That doesn't mean how is anybody in the world to hear if they don't come to a church service and hear the preacher preach. What it means is how is anyone to believe without hearing the gospel preached by someone? Somebody to come into their life and proclaim the good news of salvation. Apostle Paul also says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul has no shame in this good news that saves. He believes it saves, he believes it's great news, and he's not ashamed of it, and therefore he will preach it. He will proclaim it. And so my question this morning, as we look at this issue of first importance, the gospel, is this question of, look back at 2015, did you preach the gospel? Did you proclaim good news of rescue, of salvation, that Jesus died, that he rose again, so that we could not only be saved from our predicament, but saved for all eternity? If you shared that message... See, it's only an issue of first importance if it's on our hearts and on our lips. Otherwise, it's lip service. If this news is of first importance, does your life reflect that? Does mine? I've said this before, maybe I say it too much, but one, one of the things I lament about um, being a pastor in a church is I spend almost all my time with Christians. <laughs> don't, don't be hurt by that. Um, but I, in other contexts where I've had the opportunity to work where there aren't uh, believers, I've just, I just find a, a, a lot of joy. It's God's grace. Just a lot of joy in, in having little conversations going about faith. And so somebody thinks over here that it's idiotic to be a Christian, that you have to check your mind out at the door to follow Jesus. And so I get a little conversation going there and ask a couple probing questions and you know, ask the Lord to help me, you know, say something that would maybe provoke their thought and rethink that a little bit. And then over here, there's somebody who has some really big doubts because personal, personal issues and struggles and things that have happened in their lives and their questions about how a loving God would, would allow such a thing. And so you have a little conversation going about that. And over here, it's just, you know, and there's these little conversations happening and I just so love that. I just wonder, 
Do we, do, we, do we live in such a way where this issue of first importance in the gospel and how it applies to those in our lives who don't know Jesus, do we, do we have those little proclamations? Like, like what, what, I'm not, what I'm saying by do we preach the gospel isn't that you call everyone into the conference room at work and say, hey, everyone, listen up, and you talk more about hell than hope or, you know, like that kind of thing. I'm not saying that you, you, you do that. I'm, I, what I'm saying is that are there is opportunities to share the good news and in your life that truly is of first importance that works itself out, that flows from a life that's been regenerated by God, changed by Jesus. Are there those opportunities? And I would ask of you in 2016 to let this issue of first importance where Paul wants to look at this church, lots of things going on, busy lives, sin to deal with, all of it. Here's what's most important. Have it on your hearts. Have it on your lips. And you know what happens when we step out in faith and just say, I, I want to share with this person the reason for the hope I have. You know what happens is the Holy Spirit meets you there. If you love Jesus and you're walking with Jesus and you want your friends or your family, somebody to know Jesus, he meets you there. You'll be a bit tongue-tied perhaps, but man, he will help you proclaim good news for, that shows the light, shows the hope a beautiful thing and I encourage it to you. Be, the, be a preacher of this gospel which is of first importance. Secondly about receiving the gospel Paul says, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel which you received. This, this word received is in the errorist tense. Isn't that exciting? It refers to a decisive act. You received it. These Corinthians heard the gospel and they believed it. They received it decisively. There was a receiving of this gospel message. They took it. They believed it. They received it. Uh, reminds me of a story of J.C. Ryle, his conversion, one of my favorite 19th century theologians. I have a couple of his books on my shelf. And when I read Ryle, it's, um, in one paragraph, uh, he puts an hour of my talking to shame. Like it's just, it's so thick, it's so rich. It's, this man loved the Lord, and he was able to just express just deep truths in in ways that you could grab. And just a, an amazing man of God. Well, in the autumn of 1837, while a student at Oxford, Ryle attended a Sunday morning worship service at a nearby parish church. The second lesson of the morning was taken from Ephesians 2, when the lector reached verse 8 the reader of this passage, he slowed down and made some unusual emphatic pauses. He read, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And the word went home to his heart. Later in life, Ryle could remember neither the name of the church, nor the name of the reader, nor anything about the sermon preached that morning. Any of you there? <clears throat> but he never forgot that morning's reading of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It converted him. It became the theme of his ministry. It was so central to his life and work that he, that he had it inscribed on his gravestone. You can see it today in the churchyard of All Saints Childwall in Liverpool. J.C. Ryle, Ephesians 2, 8. 
Have you actually done this? Have you received the gospel? Have you received into your heart that Jesus died for you and he rose again and offers you resurrection life? Have you received that message or have you just been hanging out? Have you come before the foot of the cross and surrendered your life to Jesus and said, I need you. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I cannot save myself. I need saving. I need you, Jesus. I surrender my life to you. I'm yours. Have you ever done that? If you have, you have received the gospel, the news, the great news of first importance. If you haven't, if you've been, yeah, okay, I hear that, and you've been hanging around, you've been, yeah, okay, and you've been coming, but you have not decisively given your life to Jesus, we can't say this errorist tense of you. Isn't that a shame? that you've decisively received the gospel. And I commend to you, if you've been hanging out, to give your life to Jesus. See, the call for decisive response to the gospel is important because without surrender to Jesus, there is no salvation in Jesus. So, this church received the gospel, these followers of Jesus, and he says, now thirdly, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel in which you stand. This line is best understood as have taken your stand. You've taken your stand on the gospel. There's this, there's this present stability to it in light of past action and present state. It's past in the sense that you received it at one time, but it's present in that true saving faith is a continuing faith. See, the preaching of the gospel is important for a couple of reasons. One, so that the message of salvation can be heard by those who have not yet received it. And two, it challenges believers to remain faithful and to stand on it, to stay there, to live there, to continue in the gospel. A few weeks back, I was out in the foyer talking with one of our uh, elderly brothers here, one of our elder statesmen in the faith a man pushing 100 years old, and I asked him how he was doing. And he began to talk about um, how aging is really hard. Getting older is really hard. And he told me about you know, his eyes and his ears, his, hear his sight, his hearing. He told me about the aches and the pains in his body and the challenges of getting old. And at one point, I knelt down beside him and did something that, you know, when you're a third of a man's life, you feel like, do I have a place to do this? And I looked at him and I said, how's your walk with Jesus? And then his eyes began to beam and a smile came across his face and he was no longer thinking about his ailments, but he said, better than ever. It's what keeps me going. It's everything to me, he said, with joy with passion, with conviction. What happens when your sight begins to go, when your hearing begins to go, when the aches and pains of your body start to happen? Well, let me tell you, if you're still standing on the gospel, your life is sweeter than it's ever been. If you're still walking with Jesus at that point, when all those things are happening to your body, you know what? Life is actually Truly richer, deeper, more joyful, more abundant, more full, more robust 
than when you were young and you could jump, but you hardly knew Jesus like you do later. Do you stand on the gospel? Do you continue in the gospel? Not a once received, but a carrying on and a deepening, enriching. I'm still in the word. I'm still talking to my Savior. I'm still walking with the Lord. See, what happens is your, your faith gets enriched. Your faith gets solidified. We receive the gospel. We remain in it, steadfast in it, and our lives are more full than ever. I praise God for men and women in our church who have lived long lives and who still have their hope in Jesus, I just say, wow, praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for brothers and sisters like that. So Paul reminds them of the gospel, and he says that, that they, uh, they ought not believe in vain, and there's something to reminding them and that they shouldn't believe in vain. There's something about have they actually received it, and are they actually standing on it and carrying on with it? There's, maybe, maybe it wasn't central to them, this church in Corinth. Maybe they were doubting it, or be- believing in vain, misunderstanding it. What was going on? And I think maybe for a lot of us, that's us. That maybe that's you. Paul gives um, some truth claims in this text that you can stand on if you're wavering and you don't feel like you're standing firm in the faith. He gives a number of them in this text. One of them is that he says two times that it's according to the scriptures. Jesus died according to the scriptures and rose again three days later according to the scriptures. The fact that Jesus died is this broad Old Testament theme, not just referring to one passage. I'll just read one passage. There's many in the Old Testament that point to this, but Ephesians 53 says that Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. This is before Jesus had even come. This is prophecy. And with his stripes were healed, and all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus died and it was according to the scriptures. Jesus also rose and it was according to the scriptures. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, Jesus says, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Jesus is sitting with these people and he opens up the Old Testament. He says, Look, it's all about me. He, he, it's, it's fullness is in me. He opens them to it and opens their understanding of the scriptures, of the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, and that they must be fulfilled in me, Jesus says. So look, if you were to sit down maybe this afternoon and read the whole Old Testament, when you're done, you know what it is? It's a book that's not done. Right? You read it, it's not finished. There's angst, there's waiting. We talked about this in our Advent series. There's longing. We're not done yet. The New Testament comes. Jesus says, I fulfilled all that this was being pointed to, fulfilled in me. Read to Revelation, maybe, maybe tomorrow. Read, read the New Testament, Matthew to Revelation. When you finish Revelation, you'll say, now that's a complete story. There it is. It was all according to the Scriptures. Jesus is the fulfillment of them. He 
answers it. We, he, we see it fully, that it was according to the Scriptures, indicates that it wasn't an afterthought or an accident, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and that the story leads to all eternity, that he will come again and make all things new. That is a complete story. And this, that Jesus died and rose again, was God's plan from all eternity in order to bring about the salvation of all who believe. It was God's plan. So as we read the law of Moses, we're seeing that God's plan pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. It's very important, the law of Moses. The prophets, very important. The Psalms, very important, but also pointing to Jesus. We see that they're fulfilled in him, that his death and resurrection complete the story, that he will ultimately make everything new, redeem all things. The phrase in accordance with the scriptures teaches us that Christ's work fulfills God's saving purposes implying that all of Scripture points us ultimately to the grace of God in Jesus. The fact that Jesus was buried, secondly, is interesting. So what, what is of first importance is that Jesus died and that he rose again. Jesus died according to the Scriptures. Jesus rose again according to the Scriptures. But he includes in between that he was buried. Why? Well, there were people, and there still are, people who doubt that Jesus ever rose again. Maybe he wasn't quite dead on the cross and his disciples took him away and bandaged him up and he just appeared later, right? Whatever the stories are. But Paul wants to make it clear, Jesus was buried. Who do you bury? You bury dead people. And they buried Jesus. Leon Morris, uh, a New Testament scholar, said the early church was in no doubt about... uh, Sorry, yeah, the early church was in no doubt about the reality of the death of Jesus. No one doubted it. Nobody doubted that Jesus died. Dead people are buried. And Paul includes here that Jesus was buried. And then Jesus says, it's, it's later on in the text, but um, let me reference it in verse 6. It says, then Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. He appeared to Peter and John, all the disciples, and he appeared also to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, he said. Now, why would he include that? Jesus includes that, that he rose again and that many people saw him and that most of them were still alive because that his resurrection could be verified. He's writing something and saying most of the people who saw him are still alive, so go ask. You're wondering if the resurrection actually happened. There's more than 500 people who saw him and most of them are still living. Ask them. There are so many historical records of sightings of the resurrection of Jesus After death, he was buried, he died, but he rose. And there is so much documentation from those who would gain from it and those who wouldn't, who said, yes, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to them. Jesus' burial confirms that he really died, and in his appearances to eyewitnesses confirm that he truly rose. And that's grace that we can believe and stand firmly See, receiving the gospel leads to taking your stand on it. And it is not ignorant or illogical to do so. It's truth that can be backed. Lastly, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel by which you are being saved. There's this story in Acts chapter 16 about Paul and Silas being imprisoned in Philippi um, because 
uh, Paul commanded an evil spirit to come out of a slave girl who was a fortune teller. So this slave girl was making a profit for her owners. Um, she had an evil spirit in her and was doing fortune telling and it was profitable to her owners. Well, for some reason, this slave girl was following Paul and, a Paul, uh, Paul and Silas around and she kept saying who they were and, and, and kind of yelling. <laughs> and it says after a few days, Paul was annoyed. So... Paul, being annoyed, cast this evil spirit out of her. Well, the owners of this girl can no longer make a profit on her, and so they drag Paul and Silas into really like the town square. And, um, and there um, they decide that they're going to put them in prison. Well, in prison, an earthquake happens. Now, if you're in prison, this is an ideal kind of earthquake. This earthquake happens, and the prison doors fling open. All right? You're like, okay, this is great. Uh, but you're shackled, so what are you going to do? The earthquake also somehow removed the shackles from the feet of all the prisoners. A couple of our corrections officers are like, this is a disaster. This would be, right, the worst thing. <laughs> this would be the worst kind of earthquake. So there you go. So this is what happened. Well, the prison guard was asleep at the time. It was night or whatever. He was just, everything was fine, but is awoken, and he sees prison, do prison doors open. And so he's just ready to take his life by the sword. He's going to kill himself. But he hears a voice. It's the Apostle Paul. And he says, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. So in this instance, in this situation, a beautiful conversion takes place. The jailer, I'm picking it up in verse 29 of Acts 16. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that amazing? It just comes to them. They had been singing and praying aloud for all to hear. So when the earthquake happens and they say, don't worry, we're all here, he just, this jailer rushes to Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And he rejoiced along with his entire family, his entire household, all those who could rejoice in being saved in Jesus, that he had believed in God. This man was dead. This man was ready to take his life. Things were hopeless. He was as good as dead. And they share how he can live. They don't say, clean up your life, or do this, and then do that, and do this, or correct this, right? Simply believe in the Lord Jesus, they say, and you will be saved. Trusting faith in Jesus is what is required. This is how we are saved. What are we saved from? Well, we're saved from condemnation. We're saved from hell and we're saved unto Jesus. The gospel is of first importance because it addresses the world's greatest need. It addresses your greatest need. It addresses my greatest need. The gospel that Jesus died and rose again and we can be saved by believing in Jesus is the news of first importance. The gospel does many things. But when we are saved, one of the things it does is it gives us assurance. I want to read verse 6 again. Then Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Hold on to that line, some have fallen asleep. Here's why. Death in that culture, in the ancient world, was viewed with horror. Death was viewed with horror in that culture. 
It was an antagonist that no one could withstand. But Paul here beautifully refers into the context of the horror of death that people felt. He speaks into that context and refers to men of faith who have witnessed the resurrection of Jesus as having fallen asleep. Can I ask you a question? Are you in horror and fear about going to bed tonight and falling asleep. The culture was horrified of death. And yet Paul here, because of salvation, because of assurance, because of knowing where we're going and whose we are, he says some have fallen asleep. while the rest of the culture is horrified with the thought of death. Do you see what the gospel does? It gives us this insurance, assurance, Death, which terrified everyone else, has, becoming, has become nothing more than sleep for the Christian. We don't need to be afraid of dying, for we know where we are going. And it is about as painless as falling asleep. Look, dying, I'm not going to say that that's, that might not be enjoyable, but death does not need to be something you fear. For you have assurance and salvation in Jesus Christ. So central, may we believe it. May we believe this truth. And may, like some of our elder brothers and sisters among us, believe it. And may this truth only get sweeter as we hold fast in the faith. That Jesus saves. This gospel is of first importance. That he died and rose again. May we give our lives wholly, primarily, to Jesus. May it be the very center of our lives. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our communion servers to come on up. I'm going to invite our worship band to come on up as well. We're going to spend some time responding to this glorious gospel by taking communion together. Now, this is, look, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if he's your Savior and your Lord, your Rescuer, your Master, this is for you to participate in. If that's not you, don't feel awkward at all just passing the plate. This is something we do. It's sort of a family meal. This is what we do in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. We are called, we are commanded to continue to do this, to continue to meet together, to take the bread and to take the cup, his body broken, his blood shed, so that we could have salvation. I'm going to pray. Um, before I do, just want to let you know, just hold on to it and we'll partake together. Okay? God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that our sins were dealt with decisively there. Thank you for your bloodshed in the strange, even sort of weird picture. Your blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, we give our lives to you. They're yours. We thank you for the cross. We praise you, Jesus, for coming and for saving. And so Lord, we partake in this meal because we know you save. You're our hope. We put it in you. Amen.